0: start compromising then you got to understand that at the end whenever that decides, God decides there's going to be a cost to the compromise. Uh, there's a pastor and I don't know who he is, I just read things by him, Wes Richards he had this to say, there's two things you can't compromise the first is you can't compromise with cockroaches you cannot say to a cockroach look As long as you stay in that corner, we'll be okay. You can't say to that, stay on this side of the line, cockroach, and I'll tolerate you. We know that even one cockroach is too many. And with cockroaches, I sure hope this, if any of you don't have this, um, if you don't have this, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but if you don't believe this, let me talk to you, okay? It's either all or nothing, and even one cockroach is too many. And when it comes to cockroaches, compromise is a sign of failure. I have been to houses, none of y'all's, thank the Lord. I have been to houses where I opened the front door and looked, and in the the place where that weather stripping is and the door closes were 20 or 30 smashed cockroaches all along the edge. I've been to a place, a house where they took down a, a picture off the wall and it looked like hundreds of cockroaches. Went <laughs> you don't get there overnight, you get there one. Of time. The second thing you can't compromise with is sin. God can't tolerate sin because He's holy and He doesn't expect you to ever tolerate sin as well because He wants to and hopefully those that are here, He has also made you holy. There is no compromise, yet all too often I watch people strike a compromise with sin. And they allow it to occupy a corner of their life, but the problem is once you give it an inch, it takes a mile. You could look at the story of Samson, and I could, and I have spent sermon after sermon in my ministerial career preaching different aspects of Samson, and there are numerous places that Samson went wrong. There's numerous places. It's not just that final act where his hair was cut in Delilah's lap. Although that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, Samson's life of compromise started very early, and, and I don't have time to go through it, but perhaps the most telling of his compromise is his fateful faithful encounter with Delilah. It's that position of compromise that cost him his strength, his eyesight, his freedom, and ultimately, his life. I want you think about that for a moment. I understand that the Bible says in his death, Samson killed more Philistines than in his, his life. But that had, did not have to be the case. I'm convinced that Samson, if he would have lived a life according to that Nazarite vow... Samson would have lived a long life a fruitful life and he could have said look at what God has allowed me to accomplish and Samson could have died a ripe old age when he could have finally hung up the sword or hung up the jawbone whatever it might be but instead that compromise ultimately cost him his life in Judges chapter 16 you begin to see the picture unfold and I know you know the story of Samson some of you have been down to Branson and you've seen it at sight and sound but let me just remind you it started with Delilah saying to Samson, I love you, you love me. Tell me wherein your great strength lies. And Samson jokes with her, plays with her, and just gives her an itch. Well, if you'll tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings, I'll be as weak as any other man. And so she puts her to sleep puts him to sleep ties him up with those fresh bowstrings, and then says the Philistines are on you he pops them as if they were nothing and she cries and says you've mocked me you've told me lies tell me again how we you might be bound and he lets that weasel in and he says well bind me with new ropes that have not been used and I'll be weak he goes to sleep she finds new ropes she binds them up Samson the Philistines are upon you and he snaps those ropes off his arms as if they're thread and, and now she's crying you've mocked me you've told me lies and he starts dancing around the truth well see this hair that I have if you'll weave it into seven locks and uh, and fasten it with a pin I'll be weak and she does that again and of course uh, it doesn't work and finally pressing pushing and prodding and batting her eyes and crying he tells her a razor's never touched my head and if you'll shave my head my strength will leave in that compromise one little step at a time how many of you have heard the story of the pied piper how many of you have no idea what i'm talking about all right there you go oh good i get to tell you the story of the pied piper has it, the Pied Piper of Hamelin he was a rat catcher, I don't think it's a true story, although there is a stained glass window that you can see that goes back thousands of years and it, it portrays the story, but somehow they're in the town of Hamelin in 1284 they say, so they at least want you to think it's true, they give you a year, 1284 the town of Hamelin was suffering from a rat infestation and so a piper, one that plays the flute, if you will, or the pipes came in multicolored clothing. He claimed to be a rat catcher and he promised a solution to all of their rat problem. He said, or the mayor said, if you'll get rid of all the rats, we'll pay you. And uh, in one of the versions of the stories, not that I have any idea what a guilder is, but in one of the stories I found, the sum that was promised was a 1,000 guilders. And so the Pied Piper began to play his pipes and walk through the town of Hamelin. And one by one the rats came out of their little holes and they began to follow the Pied Piper as he danced and as he played the music. And he played and while he did, all of the rats followed him. And he led the rats down into the Weezer River, Wiser River, where they all drowned. But the story goes, when the Pied Piper came back and he said, I've got rid of all of your rat problems now pay the sum. The mayor reneged on his promise and refused to pay him. The piper stormed out of town. Now, there's different ways you can look at it. Some say that he went out into the fields and he started to play and he got a whole bunch of rats in the field and he brought them back into the, the uh, town. One story says that he went into the town and began to play his pipe and all of the children began to follow him and Depending on which story you find Because I've found that most of our nursery rhymes Are actually quite horrifying If you don't believe me Go read brother Not not the, not the, the, the clean version But go read the original Grim version But in one of the stories The Pied Piper played And the 130 children Followed him out of town The townspeople children And he led them to the river And they all drowned it led to the phrase that has woven itself into the English language you gotta pay the piper. It means that you've gotta pay a monetary or some debt, otherwise, you experience unfavorable consequences. You gotta pay the price, you gotta pay the penalty. Ravi Zacharias. Uh, a, a preacher and a, and a theologian, and a, writes a lot of books. I enjoy listening to him. He makes this statement, and it's a famous statement of his. He says, "Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you'll ever want to pay. You got to pay the Piper. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Second Kings chapter eighteen? I'm not going to read it word for word, but I, I want you just to kind of follow along." And, and I'll do my best to tell you the story And and I want you to see something And Again, we're going towards The topic of the danger of Don Geld. In, in 2 Kings chapter 18 You're introduced uh, to King Hezekiah But in order to understand King Hezekiah I'm going to have to back you up a little bit And I could take you to 2 Chronicles 27 When it tells you that Jotham Which would have been uh, I believe Hezekiah's uh, grandfather uh, he was mighty, he prepared his ways before the Lord his God and then his son Ahaz came and, and Ahaz uh, was there Ahaz followed the kings of Israel, the kings of Israel that strayed from God's word and commandments he followed the crowd, everyone was doing it so Ahaz said I can do it too let me tell you what all Ahaz did Ahaz made molten images to Baal he burned incense in the valley of Hinnom in fact Ahaz went so far as to sacrifice his own children to the God of Molech and Shemash he sacrificed and burned incense in every uh, in fact the Bible says 2nd Chronicles 28 4 the Bible says that he, he burned incense under every green tree he could find And so it was that Israel and Syria attacked Judah. They carried away a lot of captives. They weren't able to completely destroy Judah because it was not yet God's plan and in fact it's during this time that prophet Isaiah comes to Ahaz and prophesies to him and and in that prophecy there's a familiar one that fits the season we're in. If you go down to verse 14 of, of Isaiah chapter 7 which is what Uh, uh, Isaiah said to Ahaz You find that place that says Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign Behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son And you shall call his name Emmanuel That's part of the prophecy That Isaiah gave to Ahaz But Ahaz didn't listen He closed his ears He threw out the the prophets that would say That he didn't trust in God And because of the attacks And because things were coming against uh, His kingdom King Ahaz sought help from his enemy Assyria, he chose not to trust in God, and so he groveled, if you will. He said to a foreign, foreign pagan idolatrous king, and this is the statement he makes in Second Kings chapter 16 and verse 7, I am your servant, and I am your son. It's far, it's a far cry from the conquering tribes of Israel that marched out of the promised or marched out of the wilderness into the promised land. It's a far cry from the promises of God that says, "I'll send hornets before you, and I'll discomfit all that are in that land, and you won't have to worry about anything." But we've got to this place where he, King Ahaz, would bow and grovel to King Tiglath Pilesernar, or however you say that, and uh, King Tiglath helped him and took care of King Rezin of Syria and so it was that the king of Assyria Tiglath would string King Ahaz along you can look at all up. I don't have time to it Tiglath would ask say you know what tell you what I'll protect you from Syria I'll protect you from the marauding tribes but I need some money and so Ahaz would give him and then a little bit later, you know, I need some more, I'll protect you. I need some more money. And, and he would take the treasures from the temple. Ahaz would remodel the temple. Ahaz would, would rearrange the temple. Everything Ahaz did, did was all to please the enemy. Tiglath. Second Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 20. It says this, that Tiglath, king of Assyria, came to him and distressed him, but strengthened him not. For Ahaz took a portion out of the house of the Lord, and out of the house of the king, and of the princes, and gave it to the king of Assyria, and the king of Assyria helped him not. And in this time of distress did Ahaz trespass yet more against the Lord. This is that king Ahaz. 2 Kings chapter 16 tells us that he paid a king's ransom for protection. Silver, gold, treasures from the king's house and God's house. He, He even takes a trip to Assyria and he becomes enamored by their ways there in Damascus. King Ahaz, the king of Israel, sees an altar to a pagan god. He looks at that altar, and he said, man, that's a good-looking altar, and he measures it, and he, he, not that they had cameras, but he takes pictures of it, and he he gets it all ready, and he comes back home, and he tells the high priest, Uriah, he says, I want an altar like Damascus's altar. So it was. They made an altar just like the king of Assyria's altar. They sacrificed their offerings to God Almighty on the altar modeled after a pagan king and he took the old bronze altar from its place and he moved it off to the side King Ahaz said tell you what, you take the new altar and that's what you offer your sacrifices but I'm going to offer my sacrifices on the old I don't know how much you remember of, of of Solomon's grand temple, but there was a huge, what they called bath, and it, it sat on golden lavers, and if you were going to get into that, for lack of a better word, baptismal tank, you would have to go up and in, and during all of this, King Ahaz lowered the lavers to the ground, he took the the gold and supports off. He cut the bases of it for their precious metals so that he could give it to Ahaz. He remodeled the temple entrances and he shut, finally in 2 Chronicles 28-24, he shut the temple doors for good. And he made altars in every corner of Jerusalem. But I, I want you to get out of that, and I know that's a very quick and simplistic telling of the story. But I want you to see how Assyria came and and King Tiglath came and and he said, I'll protect you if you'll give me some stuff. Give me the things that are holy. Give me the things in your temple. Let me have them. And, And he did all of that. And then if you, I don't know if you caught it, but I read it said, and even when Ahaz did all of that, King Assyria helped him. So you go a next generation, you get to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good man. He opened the the, the doors of the temple. He restocked the temple with treasures. A mighty revival came. But the problem was he had one major flaw in his life, and that is Assyria came and sieged around Jerusalem. There's a new king. It's no longer king. King Tiglath, now it's King Sennacherib, the king of Assyria and in the story and and you can can go and you can look back uh, uh, in it and you can read in 2 Kings chapter 18, you can find that when Assyria came and set his army around and began to siege Jerusalem that somewhere in Hezekiah's revival he forgot that God would protect him. And he goes and he decides to pay tribute to King Assyria. One of the things I've done as, I've, as I, I read my Bible, and again, you all know I read the uh, my, my devotion Bible is um, the English Standard Version. And the, the version that I have uses monetary like talents, shekels, But at the bottom of my pages, it will tell you what a shekel is or what a talent is. And a talent is about 75 pounds. And so in in, in 2 Kings chapter 18, it was the fourth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at last saying, I've done wrong, withdraw from me, and whatever you impose on me, I will bear. Hezekiah gave up. He said, I'll I'll pay you whatever you want. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So I did the math. 300 talents of silver is 22,500 pounds of silver. That's a lot of money. Thirty talents of gold 2,250 pounds of gold uh, a ton is 2,000 pounds right so that's a, that's a little over a ton of gold how did they carry it I can't even fathom and it says he gave them all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and all the treasures in the king's house and at that time Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the door that King Hezekiah uh, the king of Judah overlaid and he gave it to the king, Shenacherib of, of of Assyria. So he did all of that: twenty-two thousand pounds of silver, two thousand pounds of gold, and he gave it to him. And he said, "Here, here, just just don't don't attack us. Here you go, just go." And here's the thing: keep reading in verse, in chapter eighteen. Read even into chapter nineteen. After all was given to the enemy, Sennacherib still came and attacked. In fact there's a whole series of, uh, of, of, of letters that were written and envoys that came and and King Sennacherib said you've trusted in Egypt and you've trusted in, in this and I'm still going to wipe you off the face of the planet. The good news is that later on in Hezekiah's life, uh, in the story the Bible says that Hezekiah brings the letter that King Sennacherib wrote that said I'm going to destroy you even though you've paid me you know, 22,000 pounds of silver and 2,000 pounds of gold and and Hezekiah goes back into the desecrated temple where the gold has been stripped off of it and he lays finally that letter in front of the Lord and he prays and and he kind of gets his priorities right and God protects them and keeps them and it's a wonderful story but the the point is this as you begin to look you find that you can give a, a tribute to the enemy and it never changed a thing. So now you're asking, what is Danegeld? geld is a phrase that comes out of the, the Danish, the Viking, the English, Anglo-Saxon, all of that area. And it's a payment so the enemy won't attack you. For those of you that aren't real good in history, but you like gangster movies or gangster stories, it's where they come in and they say, tell you what, you pay me and we won't, we'll protect you and we won't beat you up, all right? It's the bully at the lunchroom that says, give me your lunch money and I won't punch you. So it happens that, that this word came out, Dengeld, and so I began to do some research in it. It was first made in the year 999. An English payment of 10,000 Roman pounds, which is about 3,000 kilograms of silver, was paid following a Viking victory at the Battle of Malden in Essex. It was there that the king was advised by the Archbishop of Canterbury. By the way, they have really cool names. Not that I can pronounce them. Segaric the Sirius. That's the Archbishop of Canterbury. I'm going to figure out what... I'm supposed to be Brandon the Brave. Um, but the Archbishop of Canterbury told the king, "said, uh, you know, we, we, we've we've been defeated by the Vikings, and we don't want that to happen again. So why don't we give them some money?" And so they gave him about three thousand three hundred kilograms of silver. And so that was cool. That was in. I want you to pay close attention. That was in 991 AD. Three years later, 994 A.D., the Danes under King Swin and Olav Tryggvason returned. They came back and they laid siege to London and they were bought off and the amount of silver and history didn't record or at least what I read didn't record how much silver that the England paid to uh, the Danes but it impressed and they they've mentioned it in historical documents it so impressed the Danes that they found out it's more profitable to exhort payments from the English than whatever we would get if we destroyed them, the booty or the plunder if you will and so they made a third payment the year, 1,002. A fourth payment, 1,007, that same king bought two years' peace with the Danes for 36,000 pounds of silver. They started with 10,000 pounds of silver. Now they're at 36,000 pounds of silver. 5 years later 1012 AD a fifth payment following the capture and the murder of archbishop of canterbury and the sack of canterbury the danes were bought off with 48,000 pounds of silver then a sixth payment 1016 or uh, 1016 the year 1016 uh, Fort forkbeard's son canute became the king of england and he felt that he had it all and so he paid it off and 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 retained a personal bodyguard with 72,000 pounds of silver that he collected from the the people in London and the people in England and he 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 collected all that money and he said now that I'm king it was a danish king he said now that I'm king I'll collect money and I'll never I'll never attack you again it's estimated that during this time the amount of money paid by the anglo-saxons was some 60 million But here's the statement that that blew my mind. Archaeologists have found more Anglo-Saxon money in Denmark than they have found in England because they kept giving it away. Did you notice that the payment always got higher? Dan is what they call that payment. In fact, it's the subject of a poem by Rupert Kipling whose most famous line is this. Once you've paid him the dengel, you'll never get rid of the day The poem ends, it's a long poem, you can go find it, but it ends, it says, it is wrong to put temptation in the path of any nation. For fear they should succumb and go astray. For when you are requested to pay up or be molested, you'll find it a better policy to say, we never pay anyone dengue. No matter how trifling the cost, for the end of that game is oppression and shame, and the nation that pays it is lost. It's not worth the payment. The cost is always too high. Can I just tell you tonight in a very simple way The moment You compromise With the devil The moment you allow that sin To get one inch In your life You'll understand That you might enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season But the cost Is more than you'll ever Want to bear I'm thankful For the songs that we we've sung tonight, the songs of, of, of praise, the songs of worship, the songs of, uh, 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 of the cross, and, and talking about what God has done for your salvation and my salvation, that, that he's, he's paid that ultimate cost. And, and, and I, I told you that if you want to live for God, there is a cost. You've got to bear the cross before you can wear the crown. But you know what I've found in living for God now some, I guess if you, from the time I got the Holy Ghost to now, it's been 32 years. You know what I found? The cost that it costs me to live for Jesus Christ has never been hard. Jesus said, take my you that Jesus is all about trades that, that just, I love it, he said I'll trade you beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for for, for mourning, you, you give me the dirty and I'll give you the clean you give me the stuff that weighs you down you give me your, he said cast all your cares on me for I care for you give me your burden that you can't even carry and I'll put my yoke on you and watch how easy it is oh yeah, J- Joseph had to give up his, his coat But in the end, look what he got. But if he'd have let that Potiphar's wife get one inch, he'd have found that the price for whatever pleasure he might would have gotten would have been more than he could ever pay. Because sometimes the devil tells you it's not that much. Don't worry about it. It's just 10,000 pounds but by the time they're done, he'll have more of you than you have of him. And so I'm talking to you tonight a little bit different way, a little bit historical, a bit of story, a little bit of understanding. But when I came across that subject of Dengel, and then I began to research it and I began to look how it is. In fact, it's still, that, that word is still thrown around in English culture today. Politicians will use it every time a new tax is proposed. They'll start talking about Dan Geld. You know, once you let one tax in, it never stops. So that that verbiage, although it may not be normal to you, it's used over there quite a bit in politics. Don't pay the Dan It's not worth it. Don't give in to the enemy. It's not worth it. Don't let your guard down one bit. It's not worth it. Don't give him any of the treasures of your heart that God has given you. It's not worth it. Don't, don't, don't strip bare the holiness of your life for the enemy. Think everything will be okay because it won't ever. They're an unsatable appetite the enemy has. He'll take everything you have and then ask you for some more. Pretty soon you'll find yourself living like the prodigal son where it says when he had spent all that he had suck you dry but I'm here today to tell you that I would rather enjoy a little trial, a little stress a little kind of like what it says in Hebrews he said he'd rather identify with the people and the whip of the taskmaster of the Egyptians than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season because Moses saw a bigger picture Moses said once I give in there I'll never stop. So today I'm going to tell you that whenever you start giving in to lust, whenever you start giving in to temptation, whenever you start giving in to the pride of life, it never stops. It exacts more, more, more. more. So I ask you today, don't compromise. Stand strong and say, I will never pay the den guilt. It's not. Would you stand with me today?